with us tonight and his family. Now, I don't really know him personally, although he's been very highly recommended. But, you know, if you really want to know a person, a man especially, I think you have to look at his family. You know, God created Adam. I don't know how long it was, and I'm not sure what scripture it is, but I think after a few days, God must have looked at Adam and said, man, he needs help. And you know, God created Eve. So behind every man, there's a woman. Now, I'm not blaming her if he's not what he ought to be. But I can assure you one thing. If he has accomplished anything, it's basically because of his wife. And not only has he got a wonderful wife, she's presented him with five wonderful children. So I'd like for you to introduce your family to us. And thank you. Thank you all for uh, allowing me to come. My name is Justin Jones, as he's already told you. If my my family will stand up, this is my they'll stand up. This is my wife Linnea right here, and he is telling the truth. I couldn't do anything without her. She she is my rock, and uh, she's the one that keeps me doing what I'm supposed to do and keeps me spiritually minded more often than not. And she's holding our youngest Ivy. Uh, we named her Ivy Grace, and. Uh, the one right next to her, that's Aria Ray. And then the, the young man standing over there is Maverick. And then the little girl by her grandma, that's Scarlett. And then the one behind them, that's my oldest, Lila. She had a birthday yesterday. But uh, that's, my, that's my family. That's my, that's my world. That's my first ministry. And I'm thankful for them. And, and uh, I love them to death. And I'm thankful to get to preach. And I'm thankful for the opportunity to minister to people. But... I just I believe that my family comes first in every way, shape, or form because that's my first duty as a man is to take care of my family and to raise them in the way that they should go. But uh, <clears throat> if you don't mind, let's turn our Bibles to Zechariah chapter 13. I'll tell you a little bit of myself while you're finding it. I've been preaching for, it'll be three years in September. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a veteran. I was an Army man for a few years uh, during that time. Uh, well, first off, I, I grew up in Friendship Baptist Church where Brother Barrett is sitting behind my family. That's my associate pastor. He, the church that we go to now is where I grew up in. And uh, a long time ago when I was a young man, I, I'd got, I remember that God had called me to preach. And I specifically remember the, the time and the place. And I remember who was preaching. I remember what was going on. And I remember... I don't remember every situation and every detail, but I remember turning my back on God, and for a lot of years I ran from God, and I got myself into a mess, and I uh, spent some time in the army, and you know the, you know as much as I love the military, I love veterans, I love the army, I, it just wasn't where God wanted me, and we got out in the military at our after our first enlistment, and and then uh, <clears throat> we got back into into Arkansas, and we went to a little church and. The, in our town, and uh, I remember that the preacher was preaching about what uh, yeah, God gave all for you and what did you give for God, and I just remember sitting there thinking of all the things that I'd done and all the sin in my life that needed dealt with, and, 
And I went to the altar that night, and I got it right. And then it wasn't long after I got right with God. I just remember, uh, I just remember specifically the grace that had come over me and the, and the freedom that I felt after getting right. And it wasn't long after God called me to preach, and I've never been happier since I've surrendered my life to God, and I've surrendered my family to Him, and I love doing this. Uh, yeah, you know, you never, you never get over the nerves. So if I'm a little nervous or rambly, it's because I'm nervous. You never get over that, but I... I love to do this. This is, this is what I love to do. I love to do what God's called me to do. And in Zechariah chapter 13, uh, we're going to look at verse, just one verse. We're only going to be here for a second. We'll come back to it for just a minute. I just need this to, uh, to get into where we're, where we're going to go tonight. It's a little different. It's not normally a, uh, a Sunday night message, but I, you know, I, I've got a book full of stuff that I could have preached, and I, God just wouldn't let go of this. This has been on my heart for some time. And I just feel like this is what he'd have for us tonight. So in verse uh, 6 of Zechariah chapter 13, it says, And one shall say unto him, What are these wounds in thine hands? Then he shall answer those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. If you don't mind, let's pray really quick. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this day, God. I thank you for your blessings, Lord. And I thank you for this little church, Lord. I pray that you just, uh, you'll bless the message, Lord. I pray that you'll bless the hearers, God. I pray that we'll just... Be drawn closer to you, Lord. I pray that you'll help me as I'm speaking, God. I pray that I won't say anything that would uh, offend you or, or, or not bring glory to your name, God. I just pray that you'll stand beside me, Lord, and give me the words that you want me to say and only those, Lord. I do pray that you will be with Brother Jerry as he's traveling, and I thank you for the opportunity that you've given me to preach tonight, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. A lot of times in uh, Christian circles we have pictures of Jesus. We have ideas of what Jesus looked like. In reality, we have no clue. Now, nowadays, the, the big thing for people to do is they find a cross on a little gold chain, and they wear it around their neck, and that is their symbol of Christianity. You may see a, a picture hanging on a wall with Jesus stretched across a uh, across the cross and maybe a little blood trickling down his face and maybe a little blood on his feet from the nails. and I don't think it does it justice. We'll find in Zechariah, I don't have time to go through the entire context of Zechariah chapter 13, but this is the millennial reign is what the, theolo the theologians believe. And, and what we're seeing here is it says that, uh, uh, and one shall say unto him, what are these wounds? I don't think we can ever get to a place that uh, we, don't, we shouldn't go back and look at what God did for us on the cross. If there's anything that I can preach to you that can bring glory to God, it's the cross. I don't know anything in this Bible that, that trumps what happened on the cross. But a lot of times it seems that we've got a, an idea that the cross was something simple and it was, it was something that, that it was just a normal death, if you will. And if you all don't mind, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mosey around. I get nervous standing up there so high. But we look at the cross and we have these pictures and the world has decided that, well, it probably didn't look that bad. But when you read the Bible, we find that his visage was marred so far that you could not even recognize him as a man. Isaiah 55 tells us that there was nothing good that you could look upon from him. He was, he was bruised and battered. 
When you, when you look at the cross and you look what happened to Jesus, it's not just a, a man on a tree with a little bit of blood. We, we see that it, as he goes through Pilate's court and they, they cried out Barabbas, they wanted Barabbas to be freed, not Christ. And they, they took Christ down to a, a cave in a wall, if you will, and, and they tied him with, with leather straps to a, to a ceiling. The, I've heard men talk about this these chambers that the Romans had built for scourging individuals, and there would be a beam across the top with two handholds that they would, they would tie the lashes to, and then there would be a trough in the middle that, would, that when the blood would flow, it would run it out of the room, and they scourged our Savior there. We know that through history that the, the Jews believed that 39 lashes was all that they could give to an individual as punishment. The 40th was considered to be to death. That's why we find from Paul, he says a certain number of times, forgive me, I can't remember that he said, I said it, he said, I received 40 stripes, save one, because he could not receive 40 unless they were trying to kill him. But that's what the Jews believed. But we know that the Jews did not crucify Jesus. It was the Romans. The Romans are noted to have lashed people 150 times. We have record of that. So Jesus could have been scourged with the cat of nine tails, which do you know what the cat of nine tails was? It was a leather whip, and they would take pieces of metal and pieces of glass, and they would tie it to the end. And the, the skill of the Roman soldier was to slash the whip against their back, and they would yank it at the moment it hit the flesh to tear the maximum amount of flesh from bone. 150 times, possibly, that happened to our Savior. 150 times. Imagine the looks, the look of his back. They would have stripped him naked to do this. He would have been bloody and marred beyond reason. He would have lost immense amounts of blood. The Bible tells us that afterwards they put his clothes upon him. Have you, ever, have you ever had a scraped knee or a, a, a small cut or a small wound and, and it was bleeding and you put your clothes on and the clothes dried to the wound a little bit? And then when you rip it off, that pain from just a small little wound, it hurts so bad. Can you imagine? 150 lashes across the back. And they put his cloak on him and then you find that the Roman soldiers, they, they strip those clothes back off of him to put a robe of purple on our Savior to mock Him. You find that they put that robe of purple on Him and then they took a, a crown of thorns. In Israel, they have thorn trees with thorns about two and a half inches long that they wove into a crown and that says the Bible says they placed it on His head and smote, upon, smote Him upon the head with a reed to drive it in. And then they went and they, they buffeted Him. They hit him. They blindfolded him. They said, they would hit him and they'd say, Who prophesy? Who was it that hit you? They mocked him. They mocked him after lashing him 150 times. The, his back is split open. There's no telling how much blood he's lost. After this, <clears throat> the crosses in the Bible times, they were. We, we have elected the, the little lowercase t cross as our symbol. Most likely it was a capital T, the, 
the cross, it was a lowercase t, would have been hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pounds. I think it's 350 to 400 pounds. So it is believed that the cross that Jesus carried was actually from a capital T cross that they would leave the center post on the Mount of Golgotha, if you will, or wherever they crucified, and they would take the tops off, and they would make the individual carry that part of the cross. But we know that because of what the Bible tells us, that Simon of Cyrene carried the cross for Jesus. I can't imagine how Jesus would even be able to carry it after what he's already went through. He's... He's already been beaten half to death. He's already lost most of his blood. He carries, Simon carries the cross, and then as, as they get up to the Mount Golgotha, the, the hill called Calvary, he, would, he laid down, and I never find one time in the Bible that he, he made a noise as they drove a, a stake or a nail right in the, the palms of his hands where the major bones are. Never can't find where he said one word or where he fought back. Then they would have took his knees and his legs and they would, have, they would have put his legs together and they would have bent his knees a little bit. Because the Romans found that if they stretched an individual out, they wouldn't, they wouldn't die from blood loss or pain. They would just suffocate. They could draw breath, but they couldn't push it out. So we find that they would have bent his knees so that he could have lifted up to let out breath. <clears throat> we know that Jesus spoke several times on the cross. One of those things uh, was, was written by David in a messianic psalm in Psalm 22. It says, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou heardest not, and in the night season, and am not silent, but thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praise of Israel. Our fathers trusted in thee, they trusted, and thou didst deliver them. They cried unto thee, and were delivered, they trusted in thee, and were not confounded. But I am a worm, and no man, a reproach of men, and despised of the people. All they that see me laugh me to scorn, they shoot out the lip. They shake the head, saying, He trusted on the Lord that He would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing He delighted in him. He goes on and says, Many bulls have compassed me. Strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round. They gaped upon me with their mouths as a ravening and a roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. He says, My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue... Cleave to my jaws, and thou hast brought me into the dust of death. It goes on and it tells more. I will, for save of time, I won't read it all. But we find that these wounds of Jesus, they were administered violently. It was violent. It was not a picture of a man that was barely leaking a little blood on a cross. It was violent. It was horrible. We see uh, as he was on the cross, we have actual record that he, uh, he, he would lift up and he, would, he, he, he cried out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? In that moment, the Bible says that the, there was darkness over the entire earth from the sixth hour to the ninth. In the Jewish, the Jewish timeline or the Jewish calendar, sixth hour is noon. So from 12 o'clock to 3 o'clock in the afternoon, it was darkness. 
Because in that moment, it wasn't just a man dying on a cross, because if I remember correctly, there was two other men dying on either side of him. In this moment, it wasn't just a man dying on a cross. It was, it was all of the sin of the human race being poured upon him by God the Father. They was pouring all the sins of you and of me, and God was turning his back from him, and he, he blotted out the sun, and in that moment he cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? We find that the Bible tells us that Christ gave up the ghost soon after. It doesn't say that they killed him. It doesn't say that he died. I believe he willingly gave up his life for you and for me. And then after that, he, he had died. The, the, the Jews and the high priests came to the Romans and they said, Hey, tomorrow is our, our Sabbath day or our, our holy day. And we, we cannot have our little party until you take those bodies off the cross. So would you go and, and break their legs so they'll die and we can take them down and we can have our holy day. So the Romans went to the crosses. They went to the two thieves and they break their legs. But when they came to Jesus, he was already dead. So they took a spear and they, they shoved it through his side. And the Bible says that out came blood and water. Why is it important that blood and water came out? Because the Bible says that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. I find it amazing that a, a man that had just died, when they stabbed him, he was able to bleed. And last time I checked, no water comes out when you bleed. It's an interesting concept, an interesting study. These wounds were violent in nature. <clears throat> but I've already alluded to it, these wounds were voluntary. Never one time, as you go through the Gospels, do you find that Jesus ever stood up for himself or fought back against these people. If I remember correctly, when he was on the cross, he, 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 he lifted up just to say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Even in the moment of, of excruciating pain, where he could not even be recognized as a man, he, he, he loved people enough that he, he wanted the Father to forgive them because they didn't know what, would, what they were actually doing. What manner of love is this? Romans 5, 8 tells us, but God commended his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Wow. And it's amazing. When you stand back and you look at the Gospels, if you go to Philippians chapter 2, it talks about <clears throat> humility. And it talks about Christ as the example of hum humility. Paul tells us in 2 verse 5, he says, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made of himself of no rep reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of man, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. I go through the Bible and I... As I go through the Gospels, I never find a point where Jesus was concerned for his own well-being. He was never concerned for his health. I find that Jesus would go out of his way for people. And I think my mind's drawn to Samaria when he said, I must needs go through Samaria because there was a, there was a woman at a well that needed him. 
But at the cross, it was greater. Because from Genesis, we've had a, a condition. We've had a curse upon us all. It's been a sin condition. I heard an argument the other day. I'd never heard it before. I heard a, someone present an argument against God and against Christianity, and they said, if God was good, then why was he so bad to Adam? He kicked him out of the garden. If he was so good, why would he not have grace upon Adam? Well, the Bible tells us in Genesis that God said, if you eat of the fruit, what's going to happen? You shall surely die, right? If you look back, it's over 300 years before Adam physically died. But that God, that, 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 that's that gracious, that good God that we're talking about, He came to earth and voluntarily paid the price for what Adam did thousands of years ago that had ruined the entire human race, that had cursed all of creation and all of mankind and had, had put a wall or the, a veil up between us and God. And, and Jesus voluntarily suffered this for you and for me. These wounds were voluntary. We never find that even in the moments when Pilate was judging him and, and trying to, he would say, have you nothing to say for yourself? Can, will you not fight back? And he would never say anything. The only time he ever said anything was when, when Pilate said, art thou the Christ? Art thou the, truly the Messiah? He only says, thou sayest. That's all he said, thou sayest. Thirdly, I see these wounds are eternal. Let's go back to Zechariah chapter 13, verse 6. I told you, context of this is the millennial reign. This is when Christ is living on this earth for a thousand years. It says, And one shall say unto him, What are these wounds in thine hands? It doesn't say scars. It doesn't say that those are scars on his hand. It says wounds. There's a difference. If I have an open wound, a gaping open wound, and I have a, a scar here, you would notice the wound quicker. After Jesus died and, and he rose again on the third day, the Bible says that he met with the disciples, but Thomas wasn't there. I don't know where Thomas was. The Bible doesn't tell me. But all of the disciples, they, they, they were excited to see him, and they said, this is Christ, this is Jesus. And then Thomas finally came into him, and he, they told him, hey, Jesus is alive, he's risen, he's, he, he's back from the dead, he's, he's walking among us. And Thomas said, save, I, I thrust my hand in his side, and, and in the nail prints of his hands, I will not believe. Well, after the first time that, that Christ showed himself to the disciples, I believe it was eight days later, Thomas was with them. They was in a room, they, they had locked the door behind them for fear of the Romans, and Jesus appeared unto them. And after greeting them, he immediately looked to Thomas, and he said, Thomas, look at the wounds. Reach forth thy hand, push it into my side. Be thou not faithless. Those wounds are going to stand the test of eternity. And I have, I, I have a belief, and I... When we get to judgment and we stand before Christ and we see the nail prints of his hands, we're going to think, I wish I wouldn't have gone there. I wish I wouldn't have done that. I wish I would have served when God laid it on my heart, but I was too tired and I thought that I couldn't do it right now because I had too much on my plate. 
I wish I would have never turned the TV on that. I wish I never would have listened to that. I bet as we look down at his feet, I can imagine myself thinking, Lord, I wish I wouldn't have gone there. Lord, I wish I wouldn't have done that. I wish I wouldn't have been there when you told me not to be. Or maybe it's, I wish I would have been in church when I was supposed to be there. Lord, maybe if I'd have just went to church when I was supposed to. It's a lot heavier when you look at the example of Christ and what he suffered for you and for me. There was a reason behind his suffering. I had a very interesting conversation today, and I never noticed it before. A lot of people believe that you can work your way to heaven. They use James as an example. James is not an example of work salvation. The only way to get to heaven is Jesus. And by what he did on the cross. But I don't think Jesus died to to make a way for salvation. I believe he died to become salvation. In John 14, what did he say? He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto me, but... Uh, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. Excuse me. That's what Jesus said. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the way, the door. That's who he is. He says, I'm the only way that you're going to make it. I got a question. I've told you what Jesus has suffered. I told you what happened to him. I've told you in gruesome detail the cross. Have you accepted the gift that he that he bought for you on the cross? He he paid a price for you. Have you accepted it? After suffering something so gruesome, we're talking about the creator of the universe, the one that gives us breath. Every breath is a gift, the Bible says. Everything, every moment that we have, our life is but a vapor, the Bible says. The one that gave us that also gave us his life so that you could go to heaven. Have you accepted that gift? Truthfully, have you, have you met Jesus Christ? Because he paid so much for you. Maybe you have accepted him. <clears throat> Maybe we should stand back and look at how we treat others. Maybe we should stand back and look at how our services, our, how we serve Christ. Because he paid the ultimate price for you and for me. You know, it's easy to get, well, I'm tired today. Well, I don't really want to go to church today. I'm tired. God said, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. We're not to forsake it. Jesus said it in his word. If we believe that this word right here is truth. If we believe that this is truth. And we believe that Christ died for us. Why is it so hard for us to obey this? Why is it so hard for us to follow the teachings and the guidings of it? Why is it so hard to to live a Christian life that has testimony and has value? Because Jesus died for us. He paid the ultimate price so that we could even be saved. Why is it so hard for us to wake up and to read it? Why is it so hard for us to pray to Him? Why is it so hard to, to serve Him when he, pr- he, push, he presses something on our hearts? Why is it so hard to turn the dial on the radio off? Why is it so hard? I think it's because we're prideful. 
and we're selfish. But as I look at Christ, I can't see pride or selfishness in him. I find only humility and the love for others. That's all I see. I see nothing else. He is our greatest example. He is the one that we follow. He is our God. He is our Savior. He's the one that paid the way. And all of the the New Testament after him is written to to bring glory and honor to him and to, to point back to him. And a lot of times we can't follow suit. And I understand we're human, but we don't even strive most of the time. I'm guilty. I'm not preaching at anybody. I'm guilty. I've, I've been in church and I've had visitors in the auditorium and I, I know that God says, go talk to them. And I just say, no, I'm tired. No, I'm in a bad mood. I'm sure glad God wasn't in a bad mood or too tired to hang on the cross. And it's painful when I think of it in that light. <clears throat> I've been quick. <clears throat> I just I want to leave you with this. If you've not accepted Christ, the Bible tells us that for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I don't know everybody's testimonies. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's why Christ died. But the gift of God is eternal life. Through Jesus Christ. Through the story that I just told you. Because of that, Because of what he paid on Calvary, you have eternal life waiting for you. You have it waiting for you. You have a full pardon for your sin in hand. All you have to do is accept it. But if you don't accept the pardon, you can't go to heaven. I heard a story one time of an individual. It was a... Oh, what was his name? Hold on just a second. I got it right here. If you'll bear with me for one moment. John Harper was his name. He was a Scottish Baptist Baptist preacher. No, that's not the right story. Never mind. Forget that. Sorry. Thought I had it. Different, Different story. I'll tell you the loose version. There was a man that they, uh, him and another man had robbed a stagecoach that was carrying mail and, and goods in the, in the old time period. And uh, they robbed it, and the other man that was with him killed an individual. And uh, the penalty for that in those times was death. They, would, they were to hang. Well, this man, I cannot remember his name, please forgive me, but his friend, he was killed because he had murdered a man. Well, the punishment for stealing from the mail in that time was to die. The president of the time, uh, the family of this man and the friends, they'd went to the president. They told him, look, he, he didn't mean for this to happen. It was, a, it was an accident. This isn't exactly, this isn't him. This is the first time he's ever done anything wrong. Will you please pardon him? So the president did. He pardoned him. He wrote out a letter with his name on it. They sent it to the jail literally days before this man died. And they tried to give it to him. He said, look, you've got a pardon, a a full pardon. You could walk out of here right now, just take it and sign it. The man would refuse the pardon. He said, no, I I did this and I'm going to pay for it. Here's the truth about you and about me. We're all sinners. Whether we like it or not, it's in our blood. We're sinners. And there's a full pardon that was paid on Calvary's tree. All you have to do is accept it. 
you'll stand with me with your head bow, heads bowed and your eyes closed. <clears throat> I know this is different. It's not really a Sunday evening message, but God laid it on my heart for a reason. I just want to ask you, have you accepted that gift? Have you accepted the cross? The, have you accepted Christ? Excuse me. <clears throat> I'm going to pray in just a second. But before I do, I just want to ask a couple of questions if I can have liberty to do so. And I'm not going to call anybody out, and I'm asking that nobody's looking around. But if there's anybody in here that doesn't know Jesus, that's not asked him to forgive them, that's not been saved, that doesn't have their eternity sealed, if you just slip your hand up and let me pray for you. Anywhere.